It's week five of the giveaway with interiority and ethnic by Tunde Owolabi. Listen closely to the podcast and answer a simple question to win a pair of slip-ons from Ethnic. Ethnic is a contemporary African design house that produces fashion accessories using the ancient Asaoke fabric, woven by artisans whose skill has been passed down over generations. This week's question is, what are the names of Laduma's sisters? Send a direct message with your answer to at interiority podcast on Instagram. Show your inner world. Ladjuman Ngogolo is a South African textile and knitwear designer, best known for his knitwear designs inspired by traditional tossa beadwork and aesthetic. As a young boy, Laduma loved the sense of charisma that tossa initiates exuded after their initiation, and he daydreamed about becoming an initiate himself. Born to an attentive, loving, resourceful mother, who was a knitwear designer, his destiny was forged in these two influences. He has devoted his life to building a brand steeped in heritage, inspired by Amakosa and shaping Africa. He's gone on to create a design house which embodies pride and luxury. Today, Laduma is one of Africa's finest knitwear designers and innovators, creating garments that are coveted across the world. His interiority is on full display. It's more than design. It's more than a feeling. It's what his designs allow us to know. I caught up with Ladoma at his lively office as the day was winding down. Hello. I'm great, thank you. I can see as they say you are hands-on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a hands-on type of person. That's what yeah. I enjoy. Have you been well? Uh, overworked and underpaid. That's how I've been. I've been. <laughs> Isn't that the eternal story of the entrepreneur, anyway? That's what it is. That's what it is. Until you buy a house on the hills, then, then, then you know that uh, now you are, you are, you are fairly paid now. Yes. Yes. So, what kind of day are you having, Ladum? Um, not that hectic. Eh? It's just mm-hmm. more doing interviews of um. PA role that uh, um, that uh, we're trying to recruit. So mm-hmm. it's 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 been intense. It's been an intense one. What we've done for the day um, with those interviews. Nice, nice. During these times, you are expanding. You're growing your team. How many people are there now? Um, jeez, <laughs> I think we're chasing forty to forty-five now. Um, yeah. I haven't looked at the latest audits but yeah i think by the end of august it will be 50 of us you know, because the work is just increasing and uh Nati, we're trying to make sure that we have the best of the best yes and i will talk about all of that especially when it comes to the business end as we go in our conversation but i'm really excited to have you on when i first conceptualized this you were one of the people that i thought I'd really love to get into your head, you know, and get to understand your design process, your creative process, because as you know, I love what you do. I think I've turned into an evangelist for the work that you do as a business, you know. But let's start when you were younger, where it all started. I mean, I think it's well known by now that you were taught how to use a knitting machine by your mom, right? So did you ever know, learn how to knit the old school way? Or was it just with the use of a knitting machine? 
Um, I've always learned the old school way, you know, like uh, my first phase was the hand way, you know, with, with the two needles. Yes. Um, yes. And then um, my mother upgraded uh, she bought a, an, an old knitting machine from uh, Salvation Army, you know, those NPO retail mm. outlets where they sell second-hand clothes and old crockery. Um, she, 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 she found a knitting machine there and she bought it for like 150 rand. And uh, apparently... That was the career that she wanted to revive because Yena in the 80s she used to be a knitwear designer herself. Yeah. Um, she had an, a small knitting machine at home, and um, yeah, when I was in grade eight, we we she revived her, um, her, her interest in knitwear design mm. and, 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 and machine knitting and. I just happened to be curious and then took on helping helping her put the machine together and helping her push the machine left and right. I'm not sure you've seen um, 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 <laughs> yes. someone operating on that machine. It is quite a little bit technical, but mm. uh, one has to apply their creative mind in order, in order to get a beautiful piece out of it. Yeah, and I imagine that there's something probably a combination of mathematics, engineering, all going on design, architect, you know, it's all the concepts from different disciplines that come together in what you are doing. But tell me about her, like the sort of lady she was, because clearly it was that seed that she planted back then with that 150 rand that is bearing fruit today in the form of Makosa. Actually, you know, over the years, um, I've been considering and calling myself founder of my course. I'm not realizing that she is the official founder <laughs> of my course. In fact, you know, um, her, not, her, her, her teachings goes as far as uh, her, when we were toddlers, when we were young, you know, when she read bedtime stories to us, she would instead read um, anthropology books of anthropology so that we have a, a, a broad understanding of where we come from and uh, we grow up making beadwork at home remember there was a trend I think like 1997 or 1998 where people used to wear rings that are made out of beads yes yes I remember that I went through that so phase we, too yeah 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 um we used to make those beads. We used to crochet as well. Um, there was like a kofia style um, crochet that Ustone um, used to wear on, on his music videos. That was trendy in 97 as well. So yeah. um, I, we used to help her crochet those and uh, she used to make craft um, pieces that we sold at um, curious stores around Port Elizabeth. You know, So we would hop in and out of craft stores and um, these um, curious store owners will always negotiate it down, you know, so we had experiences of going with her, you know, to these craft stores, to suppliers and planning a product, you know, so the entrepreneurial journey started from there, but um, ultimately, yeah, now she had like a super entrepreneurial spirit that uh, 
we inherited from her. Yeah. And but what she always instilled was that you cannot go anywhere with skill without the education. You know? So she always insisted that yo, even though I'm due to pass away soon, um leaving school is not even an option or even something that you should think about and make sure that you matriculate, get a degree. Um that that is the only way that you we we can advance our career. Yes. So you talked about beadwork earlier on, but how prominent was your culture in your life growing up? So this is the skill um, that you were doing, how you were passing time, but how prominent was your culture as you were growing up? Um, it wasn't really as prominent as I wish it would have been, mm-hmm. um, frankly, because um, unfortunately our father left um, our home in 1990. And they were in 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 in, in marriage, mm. and um, the separation that they had, you know, had like uh, a tremendous disconnect with us, the family, and our culture. Because um, from father's side, our family would practice traditional ceremonies. We wouldn't even know about them or even attend them, you know. So. The reason why I actually started my course is because I felt like I didn't know enough about my culture. I wanted to know more, and I felt like I wanted to know more from father's side, family, um, who we are. And um, as you know, uh, as Tosa people, when you go through initiation, you know, so yes. your father and your father's side has to be present throughout that process, you know, so I had to learn a lot of things and uh it as you know growing up in a urban city such as port elizabeth there are a lot of influences that one might run across they might think of a culture as the last thing on their mind you know so culture wasn't present as much it was only things traditional ceremonies that i would see around my community being practiced by certain families we didn't even have traditional ceremonies at my house. Because what's interesting is that you also started uh, the design house to explore knitwear that would be suitable for Amakwala, Tosa initiates, you know, and you experienced this initiation. Do you remember how you felt when you returned? You know, because a lot of people talk about a sense of jubilation, like it's just a different kind of level of joy. How was your feeling at your umgiti? Um, my feeling was uh, rather more, rather sad um, um, than my peers because um, I had to grow up with my siblings in a childhood at home, and therefore everyone around that was elderly was 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 a stranger to us. You know, so we, we actually there was a time where we felt like our mother's presence would have been highly been relevant because a mother is the one that actually hosts everyone. You know? So for me, I felt like even though the, the energy wasn't 100%, you know, I felt like, and, and, and I actually vowed that, you know, I needed to change um, our family cycle and, and make it positive and be more united as a family so that we would start our own generation of family members that are well-natured, united, so that we create our own type of culture and evolve our own culture. Um, so 
nevertheless, I, I, I felt like really, really connected to my own culture in it because I've, that, that was the closest that I've ever been. Uh, but I felt like I had responsibility, you know, as 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 as, as a as a man to infect a form of influence in my own culture and write my own interpretation of what it should be. Uh, so you are intended to come out as a man, right? You are reborn um, when you emerge from the initiation, being a man and. You did that, that. That did happen with you, from the sounds of things. In spite of it being sad, because you are now leading your family in a, in a new kind of way. So you've taken on that responsibility of being the man, the manhood that um, you uh, taught about, that you um, had to experience and transform into through that initiation. It happened regardless of, of the sad context, do you reflect on it that way? Yeah, I, I always do reflect it on that way, um, that it was an anticlimax that was meant to strengthen me so that I can gain enough strength to hit my climax because at that stage, you know, I felt like any form of thinking that I think that is impossible is what I should be going for, you know, because um, I had to go the road less traveled personally. And um, it felt like a lot was given to me uh, in terms of weight, and I had to be tested in a lot of ways. You know? So for me, I always look at that point in my life that it, 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 it is the journey in order to get to where I am today. Yes, that's incredible. That's incredible, Latuma. Even as you emerge, there are these milestones that need to happen. You have to have a male figure who washes you, who dresses you, um, you know, and keeps mentoring you uh, through Islimela, you know, however many he was going to mentor you through for those years in initially close after the initiation. So did you ever manage yeah. to develop that sort of relationship, a male mentor, male figure that would fulfill some of these roles? Um, technically, uh, in our culture, one has to be given that main figure that they should look up to and be mentored by. But uh, in my case, I felt disconnected, as I said, with family and community. You know, so I, had, I felt like I had to push myself. And I felt like I need to benchmark even higher and be my a mentor myself, you know, and, and, and look up to, um, to other cases that are outside of my culture or even outside of my community. So public figures such as uh, Steve Beagle um, and... Um, Checo Vera and uh, materials that, um, that have written uh, books that capture what I wanted, where I wanted to drive my destiny to, where were books that I actually read when I was young. I used to do a lot, lot of reading when I was young. I was an introvert, actually. Um, so I wasn't out on the street as much. You know, so I made sure that I empowered myself 
um, in that way, you know, because um, I felt like I wanted to make an impact to the community, you know, rather than be a typical man that is meant to tick boxes that, okay, I've done the, the tradition, I've, I've married, um, I, I got a nine-to-five. Um, I just wanted to, to walk my own journey uh, so that I can feel what purpose I am brought for uh, yes. on earth. Yes. So do you remember the moment when your study of the beadwork patterns, symbolisms and, and the colors, do you remember the moment it turned into knitwear? Or do you remember the moment when you brought these two together where they made sense that, wait, these patterns that we see in these artifacts, in these pieces of culture can also translate into knitwear. Do you remember when that dropped? Yeah, actually, I remember vividly. It was June 2010. Um, that was during um, the World Cup. So basically, the museum, um, which is called the Nelson Mandela Metropolitan Art Museum, had displayed an exhibition of beadwork of the Kosa people. And um, they were meant to attract tourists to come and see these pieces. So one of my lecturers recommended that I go and see that collection because it was a special collection that goes back as the 18, late 1800s and early 1900s. So um, those pieces are special in the sense that they were made with extra care. They still had that authentic and original sense of identity of what the, the cross represented in terms of craftsmanship. You know, so I went there and I asked them to actually see further references and they ushered me to their storeroom and pulled out hundreds and hundreds of pieces, you know. Wow. And I, I went into research on why they were designed that way and what was the symbolism behind them and how they sourced the beadwork. And also that type of knowledge made me realize that even the beadwork alone, you know, was, was meant to evolve beyond the shelves that is sitting on on the archive in, in, in museums around South Africa and around the world. Yeah. But because there was a form of disturbance in the process, the cultural evolution, which is apartheid, um, the, the, the thread was broken and I felt like I had to continue it um, in, into, the current, into the present and future. And so mm. what I simply did was I made a lot of sketches while I was actually in the, um, um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the storage room. And by the time I got out, I couldn't wait to get home and actually reinterpret them into textiles that uh, people see as my closer today. In fact, when I did the first piece, um, I, I almost shed a tear because I felt like, yo, this is like a victory lab where I've created something that I don't even believe that it, it just came out of my hands. And it felt like it was also a gift that I got from, 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 from my ancestors because um, against all odds, yeah. I managed to create something from my bedroom 
and not even from the university's facility. Um, and I used my own resources to create it. And hence, I was able to request the IP transfer of my idea from the university to my private company because they realized that this person hasn't used any of our resources to actually create his intellectual property. So um, that was the, the moment that I actually went through when I created um, the first, yeah. first, 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 first conversion from Peter to Makosa Fabric. And what a beautiful twist of fate that you were doing it from home because there would have been all sorts of te technicalities moving forward had it been done from your university, as you've just said. I think that's a very brilliant twist of fate. And as you say, grateful, thankful that you had the wisdom in that moment, your ancestors, however you were shepherd, shepherded to that moment. Beautiful. So do you think visually, like... Does your mind work in a visual kind of way? Like when you conceptualize, <laughs> when you're in the ideation phase, um, are you visual in your brain? Um, I'm, a, I'm a great believer of visual intelligence, that it is great as, um, as, 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 uh, as IQ. Yeah. Um, for me, e visual intelligence rather needs more patience. Uh, because you can come up with something and it wouldn't please your satisfaction and you you have to have the courage actually to keep on trying even if you have to try it 100 times you know so um i believe that i needed a lot of training to actually get to that point um we had a discussion here uh, in a, in the studio where we were discussing about what quality is and, and trying to define what quality is and actually realize that someone, when people buy our products, they're not only buying the, the, the way that they finished and the materials, they're also buying the color combinations and the, the composition of the patterns and all the engineering that goes behind it. Um, because we often do run across patterns that we, which we look at which we dislike or I personally feel like something needs to be added or something needs to be removed in order for it to reach, reach that, that perfection stage. So um, I think that uh, I'm rather more of a visual person, but mm -hmm. of course, visual, visual um, um, intelligence, intelligence is supported by mathematics yes. um, and other forms of scientific um, uh, methodologies of creating something that is unique. And that is how innovation technically comes into life. So have you found that you've had to also uh, expand your knowledge in other areas and other disciplines? Um, I have, I have feeded from other disciplines. Like for instance, when I did my degree at the Nelson Mandela University, I was so, so fortunate. I was super fortunate. Um, I just happened to hop on to my textile design degree course at, the, at, a, at a year where they merged fashion and textiles. Right. So when I was growing up at home, we used to sew, so I had the background knowledge of the fashion. And um, 
with the fashion part, fashion aspect of a textile design course that was taught, that helped a lot. Yeah. And uh, prior to all that experience, actually, um, this is where I gained extra advantage the most against my peers is that when I was in high school, when I did, when I had to choose my subjects in grade 10, I had a choice to choose between art subjects and design subjects. Mm. And then I chose e-textile design and history of art as a subject. I chose e-graphic art as a subject. I chose music as a subject and I chose mathematics as a subject. So those are the subjects that I did throughout high school. So I had prior experience and and, and, the, and the vision of where I want to go before I even joined university. Mm. So where do your, uh, most of your ideas come from? During what sort of activities or at what time of the day? When do your ideas come to you? Um, I'm the type of person that prefers working in the AMs, like at midnight to 4 a.m., um, that is where I, I, I get distracted uh, less. I don't get calls around that time. And I'm able to actually, I feel superhuman, uh, if, 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 if that's the right way to put it, um, because I get to think of other things that I don't think about during, during the day. And that is where I've, I've been strongest the most and where I've created um, some of my most well-known patterns. Right. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit as well about uh, heritage as a, as a design language. Um, And because certainly this is quite a prominent feature of the label of the brand overall. So as a start, do you have heritage pieces that maybe you were given that you've come across and purchased for yourself, family heirlooms, you know, anything of cultural significance that is about, is like a heritage piece? The heritage pieces that uh, I, I got uh, was, was when I was a Tosa initiate. Uh, mm. So it would be prior to that process, your family makes you like a spiritual protection yeah. necklace. Yeah. Um, 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 which, 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 which looks kind of weird, you know, like it's like this panther. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but around the neck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But around the neck. And ours is more extravagant. You know, uh, it has a gold hair that is um, 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 embellished on it. Mm. Uh, those are some of the artistic pieces that I've looked at while growing up and thought that, you know, we do have a great sense of unique aesthetic as, as, mm. as, as, as Africans, as, 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 as Kosa people, as Zulu people, but we've, we've never looked beyond that. And for me, as imagine a young person that has started design looking at those artifacts, those cultural artifacts in a different way. You know, yeah. so um, that is the experience that I've, ha- I've had is, is that, you know, as, as, as young thinker, um, mm-hmm. as they say, beauty is everywhere, but not everyone can see it. You know? so right, I, I, I because saw, it seems like, yeah, yeah this, this work uh, starts with recognizing 
that uh, culture and heritage can have value beyond how mm. it is currently utilized, its current utility, you saw yeah. the next level, the next interpretation, the next expression of mm. culture and heritage. Definitely, definitely. And having had the experience while growing up, playing around with it, you know, um, mm. I at least knew the standards is that uh, it cannot be, I don't want to create a curio piece. I believe mm. that culture can be high end, you know, so I wanted to take it a notch up, you know, so that people can appreciate it differently. Yeah. Um, and so would you say that heritage is part of your design language? Just for, for me, from a cursory study, it seems that's the core, it's at the core of your process. You know, that's there's this constant conversation happening between heritage and creativity, that the interplay is part of, the strategy of the brand. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, not only in design, um, 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 over the years, I've, I've learned a lot about marketing. Mm. Um, and in our cultural practice uh, in manhood, and this has helped me a lot when it comes to branding, there is this important saying that we believe in is that um, in, in, in Costa, it is... So when you go out there and post that you're the man, it, it, it doesn't carry as much weight as someone else outside of yourself claiming that you're the man, you know. So when we brand out brand ourselves, we, we, we don't uh, oversell ourselves. Um, um, we let our customers actually reflect back to us and, 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 and tell, tell us how we make them feel. Um, yeah. So those are some of the cultural um, 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 references that we've taken from our heritage and a sense of Ubuntu, uh, which is humility. Um, people tend to pronounce Ubuntu when they come into our space and say that you guys, I feel so welcomed here. And yeah. with us, not saying out there that we are a brand that represents Ubuntu. People see it in us. And um, yeah, you know, so uh, we, we try to pull in our culture as much as we can in all aspects of our touch points within our company and brand. That has helped us make ourselves, position ourselves as dis- in a distinctive way that is unique. Absolutely. I'm so glad that um, you raised those examples because it's institutional and material. You know, it integrates creation. It's integrated in creation heritage that is is integrated in your creation process, in design, in production, in distribution, in communication, in the customer experience. So uh, to think of it only as a design language in the pieces that come out of the brand is yeah. to be short-sighted. It's to be mm. short-sighted because then you've, you've run this thread right through the operations. Um, yeah. there's, a, there's an education there. I imagine a lecture. <laughs> I imagine yeah. Naduma, like delivering a lecture uh, to other operators or other people who want to lean on the value of culture and heritage for their own brands. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's a competitive tool. Clearly, it's a competitive tool for brand identity. You could write a playbook yeah. for that. Absolutely. In fact, when I spoke at the Design Indaba in 2011, um, someone on the, at the, on the audience came up to me and said, yo, they work for a company that writes a high school curriculum and they want to write, they want to include my work in the 2012 going forward curriculum. Um, till today, it's still surreal, you know, to open up a textbook um, and even surreal for my high school teacher to actually be teaching um, her students about my work. Even some of her students don't even believe her when they, when she tells them that Yo, I taught this student uh, a couple of years ago. So um, definitely is the content that we, we try to put together is like a curriculum worthy type of content that um, other people that have written pieces about uh, locally and internationally as well. Yes. So uh, would you say that there is a shifting nature to cultural capital that, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm older than you. And I can see, especially in, yeah. if we look at South Africa and our democracy and so on, yeah. that there has been a changing and shifting nature when it comes to cultural capital. There was a time when we didn't place as much value on yes. um, the things that parents, families, and communities need to pass yeah. on to their children uh, that is cultural capital, you know, introducing them to traditions, to rituals, to dance, music, literature, and talking about these things at home. Do you also observe that as someone who is creating and giving expression to the shift in cultural capital? Yeah, I've, 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 I've been looking at that for the past 10 years uh, and beyond, actually. And, and it's not only changing within our lifestyle space, it is also changing spiritually as well. You know, like if you, these days when you come, run across like young teenagers and, 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 and people that are in their 20s, they know more about their culture uh, than our generation. And people are not acknowledging the power of their ancestors. And um, it is changing positively. Uh, to a point where even with weddings in our days, I see more traditional weddings than actually white weddings. So people are finding confidence technically in, in, in our culture more than they've ever have um, in the past, which is great uh, for us in terms of business, you know, because it, it then means that when people think of rugs, they will think of, of a Makosa rug or an African-inspired rug before they go all the way and buy a Persian rug. Um, when someone thinks of lifestyle products like kettles and various accessories at home, they will think of things that carry carry our identity, like the Italians do with, mm. with, with, with their brands and products before they think outside, you know. And um, we've, we've seen that evolution happening uh, on a global scale with Beyonce and various other creatives that she worked with, um, that being Africanized is, is, is becoming 
more acceptable um, than it ever was in the past. We've seen it from Nigerians when it comes to music as well. Um, so definitely that evolution is constantly unfolding. There's a saying that uh, um, that I always quote that um, there are three types of the Africa. Um, there's the one that uh, we watch on the news on a daily basis. And there's the one that um, we're living the reality that we have to live within. And there is the third one, which is rather more optimistic, that unfolds um, beautifully. Uh, we, the, the evolution that's happening is actually the one that is unfolding beautifully, where technology is improving in Africa. Uh, a lot of design thing, identity is being unveiled across a lot of different cultures in the continent. So, yeah, that is the Africa nah, that I want to live in, which is yeah. optimistic. I suspect that's what um, is going to be your answer to my next question as well, because you're part of a generation of African designers that are crafting new visions and meanings, um, experiencing original processes and approaches. You're doing this building from the ground, from scratch. Uh, you're putting social, political and cultural issues in your design philosophy, you know, um, and you're amongst that generation. What do you think is driving that? What do you think is the impetus for that? Mm. I think what is ultimately driving that is, um, is our sense of us seeking for belonging that is comfortable um, with our hearts. And um, it has taken us quite long actually to find that uh, sense of comfort, you know, because uh, politically uh, we are not first priority um, in the world as, as, as black people. Um, um, we still considered as third class citizens in the world. And we are in a journey to work ourselves, to, to work our way into first class citizens to ourselves and, and serve ourselves. You know, so, um, yeah, I think that it is that sense of hunger where, you know, like every touch point that you, that you, you, you go across as a human being, you realize that our history is not being acknowledged. Uh, you, you acknowledge that with the flights that you get, you take overseas when you get there, you know, like, innovation and our presence is not acknowledged on the earth and then we are trying to reclaim all of that and unlearn what we have been taught. Yeah. So Latuma, I like this question and I've asked it to a few of my guests on the podcast before. What is your yes. gift to blackness and what is mm -hmm. the biggest gift of blackness to you? Yeah. Um, Wow, that's a very profound question. <laughs> um, for me, I'd like to think that my gift to blackness is um, um, creating regalia that makes us unapologetic about our blackness. Um, regalia that and actually go out there to the world and, 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 and protect their inner circle with. Um, I think I also like to believe that I've, I've also sparked 
uh, a a new way of thinking when it comes to e, e lifestyle, you know, because when people go out these days, you know, like go out clubbing and go out to restaurants or when they buy gifts for people that they, 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 they love, they, they have choices to think of all the Parisian brands and the European brands. Now their choices are rather more um, um, open and diverse. Mm. Um, uh, so I've created... I, I'd, I'd like to believe, believe that I've created alternatives that are rather more close to their hearts uh, for, 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 for the black culture. And um, last but not least, um, from the feedback that I hear from a lot of people is that, uh, yes, it's all good and well to create things that are interesting, that are beautiful, that are innovative, but it is often rare to create something that will outlive the creator, mm. you know, something that will be left behind uh, and still survive the test of time beyond our existence, you know. So for me, that that is the ultimate price that I think that I've already carved on a stone and that cannot be erased, you know. Throughout my growth, I've always been anxious about making something and then it would disappear, you know, when my career declines, you know, but when I get that affirmation from Abantu, it gives it gave me a sense of confidence that that I've always believed that it, something can be created and, 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 and live beyond um, my existence. Yes, but what is the biggest gift of blackness to you? The greatest gift of blackness to me, um, I, I think that as black people, we are a happy nation, probably the happiest nation in the world. <laughs> and um, I will give an example. During this whole pandemic crisis that we are going through, for me, what I feel like as, as, as a designer uh, and as a human being, that the most valuable commodity right now is not a Louis bag, it's not a diamond that's worth, worth 58 million rand or a house on the hills. It is being happy. So um, 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 it, blackness to me has created a sense of happiness where I never have to second doubt myself that I uh, am a flaw or I consider another race better than who I am. And I am able to be frank as well. You know, I'm, I'm, that is one of the things that I enjoy about being black is that I can walk into a space where that, which has only white people and, and speak proudly about, about being black. Um, yeah. Um, 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 so, yeah. I love the fact that, and, and it's true, uh, because we've been through so many adversities as a people, and we still can laugh. We can still find joy in yeah. an existence and in a world that is difficult. You know, our lives have been suffering for so yeah. long, have been defined by suffering for so long, and to still under that and bring up to the top a sense of joy, a sense of 
happy and a sense of laughter, I think there is there's magic in that. There's some kind of magic in that. Yeah. Did you and say something? Yeah. A quote that I just summarized is that happiness is the new luxury. Oh, I'm going to quote you on that. I'm going to quote you mm-hmm. on that, especially from someone who creates luxury. So out of what you've just said now, Latuma, I'm curious about what you now know about undoing cultural imperialism in Africa and in the minds and the hearts of Africans, the work that is involved in undoing cultural imperialism. Um, what I know now is that a cultural imperialism can have an impact on, 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 on our psychology as, as the human race. And um, according to history, it, has, it, it, it was actually used to actually uh, chain us mm. as, as black people and actually stray away confidence in believing in us. You know, like for instance, I'll give an example. Uh, so when I researched about Kosa beadwork and Southern African beadwork in general, um, the biggest collectors of those beadwork are actually museums. And the museums mostly got those beadwork pieces from churches and, and individuals from um, rural communities. So when the English and the Dutch colonials came in and, and, and actually converted uh, Tosa and Zulu people and various other Southern African cultures, they firstly asked them to act unwear their beadwork. Yeah. And thing that represents uh, um, spiritual demonic behavior. And you can see them in, in museums, you know. So, um, so I feel like cultural imperialism is, can, can play an impact. Uh, it can play a great political role in how yeah. we think as a society. And in fact, there is a conference that I once attended. One of the speakers said that our industry of hope keeps. So, for instance, with our parents and elders, they used to, their industry of hope was politics. Yeah. And um, that all shifted when politics disappointed them. Hmm. People are looking for a sense of owning something, you know, and not just believing in something that's, that's just floating in the air. You know, so um, with that package, e-culture is part of that, you know, because when everything is gone uh, and we come from evolution of millions of years uh, going from a dinosaur age and the things that remain when, when, when everything is gone, e-culture still remains. Yes, it, it evolves and changes, but e-culture is one of the few things that actually remains continues. Uh, yes yes continues. yeah and, and therefore we should value it as much mm. because you've been in the corridors remember when you went to italy you've been to the to the uk to study you've rubbed shoulders with designers that mm. are admired the world over western designers that have that are admired the world over and you've been in yes. these rooms as a nascent as a young african brand You've yeah. moved in these circles. Did you find that you had to 
try and uh, I don't want to say justify per se, but was it hard mm. to assert your place in those environments because of previous perceptions of what comes out of Africa, whether by those brands themselves yeah. and those individuals yeah. or even by us? Yeah, it it, it, it was hard. Uh, it's, it still is. But for me, you know, like I never um, 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 took it upon myself to carry that burden of having to explain myself. Um, so when I moved to the UK to go and study master's at St. Martin's, um, I did business interaction as well. So one of the things that I tried to do was to sign up with a sales agent that is European based, you know, so that I would get a bigger reach of retailers that would stock and, and sell my products. Yeah. So a lot of opinion that I got from, from sales agents was that um, this whole Africa thing and whole pet African patent thing is a trend, you know, yeah. and, um, I always would not accept that, you know, being African can never be a trend because it is our own identity. If it's that case, having Italian patterns or motifs on a Versace, on Versace clothes is a trend that will later die down in a, in a couple of years. You know? So that's how a lot of people saw what I do. And, um, I had to explain my production process to a lot of sales agents in order for them to actually to legitimize myself and, and actually tell them that I've got I'm qualified in this field, you know, so that uh, mm. they would know that I'm not a flat by night. Until I reached a point where I was, I felt like I didn't have to be part of that battle anymore. <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, oh, I see. Okay. And I, I got to a point where I was like, I am moving to Johannesburg. I am going to a city that is a first class city for, 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 for black entrepreneurs. Um, so when I did my research, you know, like I, I, saw that Atlanta and Johannesburg are hmm. the most um, 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 growing cities for black entrepreneurs. So I decided to come to Johannesburg and join other black entrepreneurs, you know, that are, that, that are set to create their own vision and, yeah. and dominate the world. You know? So for me, I felt like I, I didn't have to prove myself any, anymore. If, mm. if, if, if if there was a point, they would have to come, Bona, and and improve and prove themselves to us. Wow, wow, that's a beautiful place to be in. And I'll tell you why I asked that because um, lots of black people in corporate and in business will will tell you that they've had to work twice as hard to be equal or how to to be able to get half as far. You know, um, do you find that it is, has it been the same for you in your context as well? It has been, it has been absolutely. Um, especially during the, my beginning stages. Yeah. Because you know our production process very well. So mm. I have to create fabric 
And prior to creating fabric for production, I have to create patterns first. And creating patterns is, is one of the most difficult process ever because you're dealing with color and color is one of the most uh, difficult resources to work with in design because oh. it affects how people view a certain piece uh, and, and how people react emotionally. Mm. So um, with having to design, having to create fabric and also cutting the fabric into garments afterwards was a super long process for me. It still is, um, but it, it just comes naturally now. And having to perfect that, you know, I had to stay up during the day and at night, sleep for two hours uh, a day. Um, with me working around peers that already had resources from their parents who got funding from their parents to start their businesses, I had to make sure that I push even further. And even uh, getting a qualification, actually, um, from the Nelson Mandela University, I had to attend school on Saturday, the whole day, and Sunday, the whole day. Um, um, um. So, yeah, if you ask me, I had to work five times more. Sure, because that's not the side of you that you share. I just realized that. We see you jet-setting. We see you at the store opening. Uh, you always have a very happy mm. demeanor about you. You're smiling. You're listening to music. You know, and we don't get to see behind the curtain the three hours of sleep that you get. Um, the work ethic that is involved in getting to where you are now. How come you don't share that? that side of things, because business is a toil. Business is, is difficult to build a brand of this, of this magnitude and caliber. It's difficult. It's sweat, it's blood, mm. it's everything. Yeah. As they say, work hard and make it look easy. Um, aye, aye, aye. And <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless, um, luxury is about breaking your back behind closed doors and presenting the most beautiful piece to the end user, you know. So um, that is the, the, like the journey that I decided to take as an entrepreneur, as a designer, and as a human being, you know, because um, traditionally that, that is what we were taught as, 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 as Tosa men when we go through initiation that um, a man never comes out in public and, and actually complains about their suffering. You know, like you, you, you just do what you gotta do and your grave is on the side of the road. Uh, your grave is never at home or in a peaceful place. You, you find comfort in wherever you go, and um, it is not guaranteed. You might die along the way. Hmm. Wow. Wow, Lajuma. What's the... Uh, you, you mentioned um, some of the education you've had. I remember after winning the 2010 award, um, yeah. you know, and the kind of interest that people started having in the brand, you decided to move from Port Elizabeth in the Eastern Cape to Cape Town in the Western Cape. How did you get by? Yeah. Um, what were some of the toughest times 
along the way in getting to where you are. I hear what you're saying that in Dodaikali, a man does not go crying and wailing across the whole town about how hard his load is. He just gets it mm. done. But yeah. was there ever a really difficult time along this journey? Um, yeah. Um, Cape Town, I'd say, was the most difficult um, part of the journey because... Mm-hmm. Um, um, this is what I always tell about people is that the difference between Port Elizabeth and Cape Town is that um, Port Elizabeth has predominantly black people and we are able to own our space in, in places we go to. But unlike Port Elizabeth, Cape Town is different. Uh, it is holistic white dominated city and therefore in any other in any corporate space that one as an entrepreneur tries to navigate to um, one is is, is is can possibly encounter challenges you know so for for me I felt like um, I needed to fight and the fact that I felt like I needed to fight, had a point where I I need to take a break and then come back again. So in Cape Town, um, I used to take a bus there every month from Port Elizabeth to go and find suppliers. And some of the suppliers that I would find would actually try to bend my fingers. You know, like uh, when I say that, I mean like try to copy my, 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 my products or waste my material. And um, uh, some would have a problem with me coming to help with the production in the factory because they felt like I was learning too much um, of their unique processes. So I'll be kept at the door and not be allowed to work to, to walk in. Um, you know, so those are some of the challenges. You know, uh, financially, I was constantly I had constraints as well, uh, which meant that because I didn't have documentation to go and present to a landlord and say that, okay, I want a lease to stay for a year or two, I had to sleep in backpackers um, um, with, with tourists um, from, from Europe. Um, some would actually party in the rooms that I was actually sleeping in. So um, that was the dramatic life, you know, I had to endure in Cape Town until I felt like I need an exit to another place and, 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 and gain greener pastures, but make sure that I come back to the city, you know, and, and create an impact um, uh, and, and, and actually build a business loop that will allow me to travel there at least every two months. So uh, you have since taken your operations in-house and this must have meant a lot because you've had a number of milestones along the past decade of building your brand. Um, And um, you've taken your operations in-house. You now have a factory with machines alongside your offices in downtown Johannesburg. How empowering has that move been, you know, not to depend on external manufacturers, though they played a part at at an earlier stage, but how empowering has that been and what has it meant for 
the shape of your business? Mm. It is been super empowering, uh, not only financially, but also we are more reliable than we ever were in the past. Like for instance, if a client walks in and orders an item that is not in stock, they are able to get the product within a lead time of about two weeks. Mm. Um, if a client wants an atelier, which is a customized piece, like a once-off um, special product, we are able to make it for the client. And also, it has also given us a competitive advantage against almost all the outlets in, in, in malls. Um, like, for instance, if you walk into the Gucci or Louis Vuitton or Tommy Hilfiger and order a product, the lead time that they give you is a month to three months. Mm-hmm. You know, we are able to promise a customer to give them their product in a space of two weeks plus minus. Yeah. Yeah. So that competitive advantage has made... Has, has made us gain recurring customers mm. and, 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 and also the fact that we are able to actually dictate in-house production and, 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 and also dictate our retail space. Mm-hmm. We are able with the resource that we invested in to actually pump stock and, 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 and not operate with an empty store um, and have a lot of customers that are complaining that there's not enough product variety to choose from. Yes. No, I think it, it changed. Uh, it was a game changer, if we can put it that way for the brand. Definitely a game changer. Um, so when you look at your success, do you believe it's hard work? Do you say, oh, it's my lucky stars? Or <laughs> do you say uh, it's Gamata, your God? Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you sit back and attribute this success to? Mm. Um, for me, I'd say definitely not fl- a fluke, um, but absolutely destiny that, it, that, that was already there before I even knew it that came from my ancestors. But over and above, it could have only been possible through hard work, education, uh, persistence, and perseverance. Because um, sometimes, you know, like, um, I even wonder why um, uh, a name such as Latuma was given to me, uh, which in full, uh, it means Latuma Ikamalamambondo. Nothing related to soccer, as a lot of people think here in (laughs) Tropic. Um, I often wonder and ask myself why my grandfather actually, I'd say, bestowed that, that name upon me, you know, because um, I think that uh, he was given the message that... Uh, yeah, he foretold yeah. your destiny with that name. Yeah. Hmm. That's beautiful. Earlier on, you said when you work through the early hours of the morning, that's when you feel superhuman. Well, I want to know then, what is your superpower? Um, For me, I think um, my superpower is uh, self-motivation. 
you have incredible self drive. Yeah, I've got an incredible self drive, you know, because uh, mm. some people smoke weed in, in order to be focused and and, and rejuvenate their energy. Um, some people have to meditate. Uh, some people have to do certain spiritual processes, you know. But for me, you know, like uh, when I'm at a certain point of giving up, you know, I have to psychologically uh, push myself to a certain level of thinking that um, if it's impossible, then it was meant to be done. And um, yeah, and um, and also added to that, I like challenging myself and taking upon things that are impossible you know, because I hate doing conventional, boring stuff. You know, like I want to get things that will actually break me and and and, and actually evolve as, as, as my knowledge as a human being. Mm. Wow. Um, you and international DJ Black Coffee and globally recognized painter and fine artist Nelson Nakamo. You guys are not only friends, but you're also business associates as well. Um, how do you how do you drive each other? What do you guys talk about? Like, tell me about this uh, this brass cap that you've got going on. Mm. Yeah, so when when I'm with Black Coffee and Nelson, we talk, um, our talks are very profound. Um, we talk of the historical experiences that Black artists and musicians had to suffer, you know, uh, such as some that had to, who, who actually signed contracts that compromised their intellectual property and their future, and some of them gain overnight fame and, and so-called success. But when you look behind closed doors, you realize that this person doesn't live in a house that they own or doesn't have commodities that will actually evolve mm. or, 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 or improve them personally. Um, we talk of how we actually cre- need to create a model for the current generation generation to actually follow and build a sense of confidence for people to pursue creative careers, you know, because um, as you know, um, back in the past, if you ever mentioned in, in, a, in a normal black household, if you say that you want to be a musician or an artist, um, probably in most cases you get no for an answer and get mm. a suggestion to be a lawyer or doctor or any corporate career, you know. So we we talk um, those things on how we need to actually gather our resources mm. to make sure that we, we, we protect the vision of black children and, and, and protect each other individually as well, you know, because um, um, anything can come our way. Um, um, in order to, to actually, for, for people that hate what we are doing. Um, so um, hence, we are in a consolidated building um, and share resources. Right. So um, has it substituted the male bonding that you would say you missed out on when you were younger? 
because when we started, you talked about um, you, your relationship with your dad, not not being what you would have hoped for it to be. Has it served yeah. to kind of bomb, put a bomb on on that particular wound? I definitely has. It definitely has. Um, uh, when my mother was still alive, she used to say that uh, your biological brother, your biological mother or father doesn't have to be the father figure that you will realistically have in the in the in the in the real world. You know, so um, for me, I've had informally foster fathers and and and, and mothers that I found in the street, you know, like, so Nelson and Nati are like brothers to me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm from, from, from different, from different mothers, you know, so that's, that's how I, I, I feel like, I mean, he has closed that gap and we actually relate, uh, um, 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 in a sense, the common character of being loners, uh, creatives are actually loners that are introverts that, think in different corners thinking that they are not special or they are not normal they are abnormal and uh have a sense of doubt you know so we've we've, we've even strengthened strengthened our, our our ourselves individually you know and supported each other make sure that even if i doubt that i will grow as big as virtual upload or any high-end prominent designer, you know, like Black Coffee often say that, yo, bro, for me, you're already big, you know, like, Mm. Mm. it can only get better. Absolutely, absolutely. So that gives us a sense into some of the things that you've had to fight in yourself to get to a place where you are creating this work and creating it doesn't mean, and success um, and succeeding the way you have does not mean that you are free of the things that you have to fight in yourself to do yeah. this this work. Tell me about that kind of uh, battle that can sometimes enter the space when, when you're building your business and creating. Yeah. Every entrepreneur, uh, whether mm. Zuckerberg or Elon Musk or whoever does have a tiny percentage of doubt. Yeah. But um, it is often yourself, you know, or someone that sits close next to you, you know, that, that, that motivates and, and actually removes that doubt until you cross um, a certain pinnacle. Um, mm. Those are fights that uh, I have to fight with myself or maybe having an idea that you... you I felt like it, 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 it could do a great impact, but be scared to implement it, you know, because uh, I would mm-hmm. feel that it, it, it would not be as successful. But once I start doing it, I realized that, wow, you know, um, it is actually working out, you know. So constantly every year, you know, like uh, that's a battle that I always have, have to have with myself that... Uh, Doubting yourself is, 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 doubting myself is no, should not be even an option that I even look at, you know, like mm-hmm. look at Elon Musk, you know, and how that guy has actually challenged the world's thinking with his yeah. silly ideas uh, that, that, that have become reality. I'm sure that he had to have a lot of internal fights. 
Mm, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Because I think uh, with any vision, there's still a battle mm. that rages to get started, to commit, to continue. Um, there's always a battle that, that, that has to be waged. Um, so you've also created, do you see, in fact, how you've created something of personal excellence? Um, but you've also created something which is also an achievement for black people. I do think of what I do as a form of personal ex- excellence, you know. Uh, one of the challenges that I actually placed upon myself was that I wanted to study at the best fashion school in the world, you know, and achieve that. And I told myself, I want to educate myself as high as achieving a PhD, still working on that, um, so that anyone that is following me or, or is trying to emulate me, they would feel the pressure, you know, to, to go that high. Um, um, and uh, I always challenge myself to actually create something that I think personally that it, it is credible, you know, from the product that is on the floor to the service that is at the store, um, at both stores, uh, to everything that uh, has to do with us. Uh, I always try to benchmark it high, but at the same time, um, this is one battle that I have with myself is that I am never satisfied, 100% satisfied with, with what I do. And that has kept me going. Like, for instance, if I aimed at designing a new collection, I'd always rate myself 20% out of 100, you know, because 100 is what I was aiming, but once that deadline approaches, uh, I would rate myself at 20 and try to achieve 100, you know, for the next project. Um, And that is the case with everything that I do uh, in my personal capacity and business. We just try to perfect everything. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about your family. You're also in business with your family, your sisters, Tina and, and Lise. Um, with what you said about family earlier on, this must be something you're extremely proud of. I think that um, since I started the brand, actually, uh, one things of like the, the the sustainability of it and how far it's going to take them. Uh, but for me, um, I think that I personally believe that uh, dreams are not valid until they start making an impact in your surrounding. And uh, charity begins at home. Uh, one has to make an impact at home before looking outside the community and the rest of the world, you know. So for me, halfway through my journey, I always kept them um, updated about the vision. And it is not because of the fact that uh, they saw like income and revenue come into the business, but it was the vision that I shared and, 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 and asserted to them that um, this is how far it could go. And um, yeah, you know, some family members um, 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 tend to cripple their family's Mm. business or family members' business 
but uh, uh, that has never been the case um, in, in, with me, you know, because I think that it is our mother's impact on how she actually taught us not to think small, because uh, there are consequences that are severe with, 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 with limiting, limiting your thoughts. So in closing, Laduma, what would you say is your most vivid dream? Um, mm. Have you seen the promised land for yourself and Makosa? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, for me, um, my ideal vivid dream that I that I dream of is a is 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 is, is an African continent is, is is the continent of Africa that is self sustainable that is working well, like, um, take for instance, I'm gonna make an example with Japan and Switzerland. Um, Economies that are small, but self-sustainable. You know, I I, I believe that um, um, we as human beings speak of heaven, but heaven can be, felt on earth mm-hmm. there are countries in the world where you go to and feel like everything is so perfect um where where it feels like you are in heaven i think that that dream is possible for africa where where we, we could possibly have a zero unemployment rate and have swift technological systems and swift travels within our beautiful countries and exchange culture as as, 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 as as different cultures around the continent. That is the impact that I benchmark my vision towards. Well, thank you so much. I don't know what you're off to this evening, but from what you said earlier on, I suspect you are still at the office. <laughs> you will probably yes, still office. continue to work, <laughs> finding that new member of your team, your new PA. Um, yeah. And may you soar, may you thrive, may you soar. Thank you, I appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for getting me to actually go into a, such a profound interview with me. Like I'd say, this is like a, a great, I rate it as one of the most profound interviews that I've had uh, in, in, in the past couple of years. Wow, I take that. <laughs> I will receive that. Thank you, Laduma. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.